All right, if you are visiting with us, we're in the middle of an indefinite stop in the book of John, Gospel of John. Uh, we have actually spent the last three, uh, two and a half, two and three-fourths years going through all of the Bible, from Genesis uh, all the way through the history and the prophets and the Psalms and Proverbs and, and then in the New Testament, the Gospels and letters. And the last thing that we are doing is looking at all of the books that John wrote. So he wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also wrote Revelation. So we are finishing up just by uh, looking at all of John's writings. And so we're taking the semester to go through the Gospel of John, and and the, the goal for us is just to be with Jesus in this book. This is a book that was written to explain to us who Jesus really was. Um, not, to, not necessarily to establish facts of Jesus' life as much as it is to explain that the way that Jesus lived his life proved to us, the things that he did, proves to us that he truly was the Son of God. And that is why John says that he, he has written his book. He doesn't include all the details of his life. He says, if I included all the details of his life, there'd be, it would fill all the libraries of the world. <laughs> The world could not contain everything, all the books that would be written. But he selects specifically seven signs to show us. And then uh, in the last half of the book, he gives us the most intimate picture that we get of Jesus relating to his disciples in those final hours leading up to his death. And a lot of people actually uh, outline the book in that way. Chapters 1 through 12, they call the book of signs. Chapters 13 through the end, they call the book of glory. Uh, because Jesus says, uh, now is the Son of Man glorified. Father, glorify me. And how is he glorified? He is lifted up on a cross. And that is the, uh, the glory that, that John points us to. The glory that says, this truly is uh, God. Um, but that's, that's another sermon. That's, uh, that's a different, different time. We'll get there eventually, I think. Today we are at the end of chapter 4 and turning into chapter 5. And we've talked about one of the seven signs already. And which, which one? No, we actually haven't talked about it here. Uh, we've read it. We're past it. But it's the, turning the water into wine. That's what John says is the first sign. I didn't really talk about that. Um, both Billy and Chad talked about that. And if you want to go back and listen to theirs, that's fine. Um, I started thinking about it, and I was like, I can't. I, there's, there's too many different directions to go in. I'm going to just see what they do and refer everyone to them. Um, but we're going to talk about the next two signs today. Anybody know what they are? The next two signs? One is that at the end of chapter 4, we get two right, right close to each other. Yeah, the official son, and then it's two healings that happen. And then the lame man, the paralytic by the pool, is uh, one way to remember it. Um, so let me just remind us that the signs in John... What do we have to say about the signs in John? What's one thing that we've been saying? It's that they are not particularly, they're, they're not, they're, they're, their primary focus is not the miraculous. They, they are miracles, but what is a sign? A sign is something that points you in a direction, right? So we would never, we would never assume that a stop sign uh, or a, a sign with, that says Lexington, Kentucky. That's not Lexington, Kentucky. 
That's showing us that the, the road that we're on is leading to Lexington, Kentucky. Our destination is Lexington. Our destination is not the sign. And so John says these are symbols. These are things that um, establish who Jesus really is for us. And so the way that John includes these signs, not just the seven that he includes, but the way that he actually tells them, we have to consider all the little details in the way that, that Jesus... Um, the way that Jesus performs these signs. Um, there's, a, there's a strange paradox in John's gospel about signs. And that is that it's written as a book of signs to point us to Jesus. But it also contains a lot of instances where Jesus gets fed up with people for looking for signs. <laughs> and this first sign is one of them. The official, son, the official says, hey, you need to come. my son is about to die, come, come heal him. And he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. Well, isn't that what the whole point of the book is? To show us signs and wonders so that we believe? But it's all about what John is saying is that there's a way to approach Jesus. One, one needs a sign and is never satisfied, even with the sign. And we see that happen time and time again. A lot of people witness these signs, but they're not doing anything for them, and they keep demanding more and more and more. Some people, even just the littlest the littlest tiny thing, because they're hungry for Jesus, they want to see him, they go, whoa, this is really him. And they are led into much deeper meaning. So there's, it's, you have to keep that in balance. You can't seek signs, but here's some signs that if you look at them really closely, you're going to see Jesus in some big ways. Right? Um, all right, so we're going to talk about these two signs. Uh, first, the healing of the official's son. Uh, I'll just read this. It's at the end of chapter 4 in verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine, which was the first sign. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill, and most likely this was a Gentile. It's not explicitly stated, but most people think that this would have been a Gentile official, a Roman uh, in that that city, um, which would then make sense because Jesus has talked to in chapter 3, Nicodemus, who's a Jewish ruler, Pharisee. Then he talks to a Samaritan woman, which is sort of a, a half-breed Jew. And now he's talking to a straight-up Gentile. All right? So he, uh, the man, when the man heard that Jesus had come from uh, Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, and the, and the you is, is y'all, right? It's, it's plural. So he's saying this not necessarily to blast this guy for coming to him for help. He's saying, there's this trend going on, this need to see signs, right? So he says, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. The official said to him, I mean, he's, he's urgent, he's, he's dire. Sir, come down before my child dies, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word, and, and we know from our time in John that the word is a very significant concept, the logos. This is the ordering principle of reality. But here he, he says, he's sneaking this, it's in here. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour 
when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. Now, this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So we see that this is, um, we're going to look at these two kind of in comparison with each other, the healing at the pool and this healing of the official son. But this situation is urgent and it's dire, and it's a, it's a sudden crisis that has come upon the man. Um, and the man has a measure of faith. He, he has heard some things about Jesus, and they, it causes him to say, I think maybe this guy can help me. Right? So there's some faith there, and there's some desperation. Um, Jesus does not do exactly what the man asks him to do. He doesn't come down and heal his son. And when John says this, this, this is full of meaning. This tells us something. Jesus does not come and lay his hands to heal this man. What does Jesus do? He says, he gives, all he does is he gives the man a command, and he says, go, your son will live. Okay? So what is this saying? What do we need, how do we need to approach the signs in John? What is this telling us about who Jesus is? What is this telling us about who Jesus is? First of all, this, this sign emphasizes the power of Jesus' word. The power of Jesus' word. Right? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. When God says something, it happens. That's how he created the world. God spoke into existence. And so this man believes that Jesus can heal his son by coming down with him and being with him in person. Jesus shows him that he doesn't need to be there and that all he needs to do is speak. And that's what the man learns. So the man goes away. It says, it, two times it says he believed. And I think there are two different levels of belief. One said, he says, go and your son will live. And so he trusts that Jesus knows what he's talking about, so he goes. And then... It emphasizes the exact time that the fever left him. And as, after he does some digging, they say, let's line up the timeline. When did his fever leave him? Now, when did those words leave Jesus' mouth? That's when he was healed. Whoa. So do you see what John's doing? He's saying, and this is what the official comes to recognize, that... He told me that my son would live, and I believed him. I didn't know that when he said that, that was the moment at which my son was healed. When those words left his mouth, healed. And so the word is powerful. And that's what this sign tells us. The word of God creates, brings life, heals. It's not constrained by physical location. It doesn't have to be there in person. Which somebody should, have, somebody should have told Mary and Martha this, because they were all uh, upset at the fact that Jesus wasn't there, and so Lazarus died. If you had been there, my son wouldn't have died. Um, we already have a miracle in the book of John where he didn't have to be there. All he had to do was say something. Right? Um, all right, so let's go on to the next one. 
So do you see, do you see how he, he believed that, okay, my son will live. He didn't re- necessarily know that, oh, literally, you mean that as you're speaking that, my son is healed. And it's only after the fact that he goes and after he does some digging that he finds out that, oh, it was actually when he said that, that he was healed. It's subtle, but John spells it out very clearly for us, the way that Jesus went about this. And, and Jesus doesn't do what, he, what the guy asks him to do. He does it in a way that's going to cause him to come into a deeper level of understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, all right, so chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And this actually begins a, a larger segment where Jesus has a showdown with the Jews uh, about the Sabbath. He does this miracle on the Sabbath, and that's actually the, the primary point of the miracle, that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. I'll talk about, a little bit more about that. But I want to look at the actual healing, because it's, it's this event that then leads into a long dialogue between him and the Jews. And this is actually, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about witness. This is actually where he starts to just lay out all of the, the testimony. Um, in chapter 5, it's all condensed. There's just so many witnesses as to who Jesus is. Um, so this, he says, uh, there's a, in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man, who had been, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. So this is a familiar pattern. This guy has something in mind that he feels needs to happen in order for himself to be healed. I, uh, Jesus, I need someone to put me down in the water. And Jesus doesn't pay any attention to that. Rather, what does he say? He gives him a command, something to do. And at, so, and at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, that day was the Sabbath. And then we get on to, into this, this whole <laughs> other issue. It's, it's connected. I'll, I'll, but l- let me say this first. So this is a different situation. This is not a crisis situation. This is a chronic situation. This has been going on a long time. This man is hopeless. And I think Jesus' question, do you want to be healed, is meant to tell us that this man, maybe he's accepted his fate. Maybe he just doesn't really believe that he can actually be healed. Um, The other thing we see is that, like the official's son, he has decided what needs to happen in order for the healing to take place. The official said, you need to come down and be with him, and then, and then maybe he can be healed. And the paralytic says, I, sir, I need someone to put me in the water. But all these people are getting in ahead of me. And so both of them request that Jesus does something, and he does something different that actually meets their need more than they were requesting. It does more for them. And so in both of these stories, the way that Jesus heals, the way that he responds to them, 
yes, meets the need, but also brings those people into a deeper understanding of who he is and what he's capable of. Um, our expectations and our requests are actually sometimes off. They're, they're, not, they're not what we need to be asking for. And they, they reflect in us a misunderstanding of who it is that we're talking to. Right? The things that we ask God for sometimes reflect a misunderstanding of who it is that we're talking to. Can you hear that? The other thing, interesting thing in the story, so he, it's, he, the Jews find this guy and say, who, who told you to take up your bed and walk? And he says, uh, uh, the guy that, hello, healed me. <laughs> like, well, I, I'm carrying this. Did, did you not see me laying there for 38 years? <laughs> Who told you to work on the Sabbath? And, it's, and he says, the one that healed me. And he says, I don't even know who he was. But this guy came and he healed me. And that's why, I mean, why, why are you looking at me? I'm, I'm walking now. I don't care what day it is. And then Jesus finds him again, and he says something interesting. He says, see, you are well. Sin no more, or stop sinning, that nothing, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, I'm not sure if this is implying that his sin was the cause of his condition, or just that, and I'm, I'm inclined to think that the point here is that I've healed your body, but I came to do more than that. I came to deliver you from sin, not just bodily paralysis, but spiritual paralysis. And if you don't take advantage of that, it's going to be worse than 38 years hanging out by the pool. And it's going to, it's going to be an eternity of paralysis and blindness and lameness. Right? So you picked up your mat. Now leave your sin. And there's a deeper thing at work here. Right? Now that your body's been taken care of, Let's fix your spirit. Let's fix your soul. I think that that's the thrust of it. I'm not sure. But I can be convinced that, that the point is that because he was living in sin, his, his, his physical body was living in bondage to, to, to disability. Um, I'm not sure if we, if we can know. But uh, it says that he went away and told the Jews, oh, okay, so this is the guy. He went away and told the Jews uh, who had healed him. <laughs> he didn't go rat Jesus out and say, yeah, that was the guy that told me to pick up my mat. He said, hey, I found the guy. That's the one that healed me. Can we, can we just agree on the fact that that was awesome? <laughs> Please. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, I'm going to talk about that. Um, So, in Jewish tradition, I mean, and this is how a a legalist would would think, you know, well, God, doesn't God still do stuff on the Sabbath? Yes, he does. And they all all acknowledge that God sends rain on Sabbath, so he's providing for the earth. He he causes life to come into the world on the Sabbath. People are born on the Sabbath. So God's not taking a total day off. What's God doing? He's, he's sustaining the life that he's created. He has to, right? If God took a total Sabbath off, the universe would just, whoop, we'd all be gone. 
Of course he's working on the Sabbath. And that's what Jesus is saying. This is what God is up to. Like this is beyond this is beyond the, the Sabbath command. This is giving life. This is just what my dad is about. This is what he always does on the Sabbath. So it's what I'm doing on the Sabbath. Right? Isn't this who God is? Isn't this his heart? And that infuriates them even more because not only was he doing the things on the Sabbath, but in doing those things and in, in phrasing it like, my father is doing this and so I'm doing this, that, that's blasphemy. You're equating. So you are giving yourself the, the, the green light that God has on the Sabbath? That's blasphemy. And we need to see that that's, that delights the father. You know what I'm actually up to? You haven't turned this special day that I created for you to just relate to me solely. You haven't turned it into some sort of legal standard to hit people over the head with. You actually want to do the thing and and be concerned with the things that I'm concerned about. Great. Break the Sabbath all you want. (laughs) See, when when you're in the heart of God, when you have the, the relationship with the Father that Jesus has, when you know God, it's eternal life. You live in a different way. So a couple things that these miracles show us, and, and, and this is, the, I think, the biggest point that I'm seeing in these, is that the command, that Jesus' commands are creative. Okay, the word creates. Even the commands of God are accompanied with miraculous power. Okay, how does he respond? How does he, how does he respond to each of these people? The official, he says, go. He gives them a command. Go, your son will live. Unseen is the fact that that command was actually the statement of healing as well. It was a working of a miraculous thing. And the man at the pool, he says, get it. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And as he's saying that, the miraculous power heals the man. So it makes sense that there is then a squabble over a command. The Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. Don't work on the Sabbath. Jesus says, I don't think you understand any of the commands of God. He's going to go on to say in chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them is eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. So what's he saying? All of the commandments of God are actually creative. They're actually, they don't cause you to, they don't, they're not standards for you to try and live up to. They're statements of what God has made possible. By his miraculous power. If God says, take up your mat and walk, he has made it possible for you to take up your mat and walk. If God says, go, your son will live, guess what? He's already been healed. You just have to go figure out that and put the pieces together and say, oh yeah, that command was actually the, the healing. That was it. 
So in both of these healings, the person coming to Jesus, they're desperate. Uh, But they also have a little bit of a misunderstanding. And he corrects them by the way that he answers their requests. He meets their need, but in a way that makes them see, oh, I I was not approaching this in the right way. And in both healings, Jesus commands something, but he commands it in light of the miraculous possibilities that he has opened up by the speaking of his word. And this is the proper understanding of the law, of what God was doing in giving the law. It's the same as when God was saying, let there be light. That's the same thing. When he says, you will have no other gods before me, it's the same thing. That's a life-giving word. To obey that command is to enter into life itself. It's not to sort of then finally meet some standard that God has set. Does that make sense when I say that the, the, his command is creative? His command is life-giving. And so that's why we have, you know, if you read Psalm 119, that's why the psalmist can say things about God's commands that we would never think about saying about a list of rules. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all time. Why? Because he's discovered the creator behind the commandment. And he's understood that obedience to not an arbitrary rule, obedience to the word of the Creator brings life and flourishing. Okay? God's word causes flourishing in life. When we get fixated on the command, like what a shame would it have been for the paralytic to say, 38 years. You're just going to tell me to pick it up and walk. Don't belittle me like that. I don't have time for this. Right? What, what, a, what a tragedy that would have been to not recognize that as he's commanding you to take up the mat and walk, he's also healing the hindrance between you and obeying that command. Isn't that good? So, um, a couple things I think that we need to, to take away from this. One is that we can't, <laughs> we can't wait around for God to answer our prayers according to our expectations. Uh, faith, one way to, to view faith is when God's answer to your prayer, to your request, seems strange or even contradictory, but you go along with it anyway. When you're asking God for something and then he puts a clear response in your path, a clear thing for you to then go do, and it's like, how is this going <laughs> to how is this going to help? Really having trouble with this relationship. Well, let's see. Um, I want you to vote an, instead of 30 minutes an hour of prayer every day for that person. What? I'm dying here. (laughs) This person will be the death of me. I want you to spend more time with them. And what what we hear is, is, all right, you got to do more. But what God's saying is, 
look what I've enabled. If you will obey, you're going you're to step into a miraculous source of life that you never knew existed. So another thing is that we need to receive God's word. And this is, I think some of us need to hear this. We need to receive God's word not as a measure to live up to. but as a possibility that Jesus has miraculously unlocked in the giving of the command. When he gives the command, he enables the command, or your, your obedience unlocks the miraculous flow of life into your life. You, but you have to obey. If he didn't pick up his mat and walk, he, he wouldn't have experienced that. If he didn't go home and check on his son, he wouldn't have experienced that. He wouldn't have found out what God had already done that was just waiting on a step of obedience. This is faith. And it has to do with knowing God. You know, we often have a, you know, we, we know our need, I mean, we know our read on our own situation more than we actually know God. We've got, we've got a situation figured out. We know exactly what it is that God needs to do in this situation, in my life, in someone else's life. We know what they need to do in order to close the gap. Right? We're here. We need to be here. Jesus, come fill this gap. And he says, I don't have to do what you say. <laughs> I've got my own plan. And often we know our read on the situation more than we know the one who is standing in front of us. Jesus, you've got to come down and heal my son. Jesus, I need somebody to put me in the pool. No. Go, your son will live. Take up your man and walk. And we actually treat sometimes in our desperate prayers, and our desperate pleas to Jesus, we treat him as less than he really is. We have a system. We have some gaps in the system. We need to plug them into the system, and the system will run. That's not how it works. It's God's system. He knows how it works. And if you do what he says, you'll finally fit into his system. (laughs) And you'll experience life as it should be. That's what knowing God means. Knowing God more than we know our own interpretation of things. That's eternal life. So two challenges I want to I want to give today, and this this first one is sort of um, it's not the main point of these miracles, but both of these guys that approach Jesus have a desperation for him. They have a need. I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus actually responds to them is because he senses in them they they are really placing weight on me. They need me. They're not just greedy for a sign. Right? Jesus cuts, or, or the, the official cuts Jesus off. Jesus says, hey, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. He says, but my son's going to die. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's great. But my son's going to die. I need you. And so the challenge is, do you even pro- approach God as if you really need him? That's the, that's, that's the first, that's where this all starts. Okay? Not, God can't take you through a process of showing you who he is if you don't feel like you really need him or you're going to lay there for the next 38 years or your child's going to die. 
So that would be the first question to ask yourself. Do you really need God? If I said that you couldn't, you know, you couldn't have any of the God stuff in your life anymore, how much would you really be out? That's, that's a tough question. That's a tough question for wealthy Americans to ask themselves. If there was a state decree <laughs> that said, all right, we're done with Christianity, how much would we really hurt? And I, would, you know, I think most people in this room would be like, no, that would be, our, that would be our very lives. But it's something to ask yourself. Do you actually need God? Or do you pop in every now and then when you need something from him? And the second challenge would be, as, you, you know, as you're seeking God, and as you are pouring out your heart to him and, and, and casting your cares on him the way that he calls us to do, um, is there something that he's clearly called you to do that you just can't believe that that's the answer to what you're asking him? <laughs> well, yeah, but that, how is that going to fix X? How is that going to address my problem? No, Jesus, my problem is I need you to come down I need you to put me in the water. And he's telling you something different. And you're just not doing it. You know, so that would be the thing to ask yourself. Have you, does Jesus know your need and he wants to meet your need, but you're not letting him meet that need on his terms and follow the instructions that he gives you? Like, I just feel really far from you. Well, do you pray every day? <laughs> Well, no, I don't pray every day. Well, then stop telling me how far away from me you are. Stop telling me how alone you feel. Read your Bible and pray. Well, that's just legalism. No. It's a miraculous life that God has opened up that is waiting on you to take a step. And you will finally come into an understanding of life. Does that make sense? Are there commands in your life that you're ignoring or you're not really following with discipline because you don't actually think that they're going to fix anything. They're just rules to you. I think you need to hear the fact that behind all of those rules, God is waiting to work miracles in you and through you and for you if you will just obey and trust him that that is the step you need to take. Okay? Does that make sense? Is that clear? Those two challenges. Number one, do you really need Jesus? It seems simple. Well, yeah, of course I need Jesus. Do you really? How much would you really hurt if he was taken away? Huh? Amen. That's good. All right. So these are just two stories that we can read and go, oh, yeah, they're kind of miracles, but then you start looking at them more closely and more closely, and you see just the ways that Jesus does them, and you go, oh man, Jesus knows what he's doing. <laughs> he knows how to work in a way that causes us to both, he, he meets our needs, but then he corrects our misunderstandings at the same time. What a God. <laughs> Mercy, correction, all in one person, commandment, creative love, miraculous love, all in one all in one person. This must be the one. This must be him. Right? And these, these stories tell us that it is. Amen? All right. Um, let's pray. And then, and like last week, if there's any... Uh, this, you know, the Holy Spirit's here. We've asked him to come, and he's faithful to come. 
And uh, if there's anything that you want to share or voice in response to any of this or questions that, that you want to ask, um, feel free. Jesus, thank you for uh, these little portraits that we have of the way that you interacted with these people and, and healed them, but also caused them to know who you really are. And Jesus, I pray that you would search our hearts, uh, that you would reveal to us where we don't truly need you, where we're not truly desperate, um, where we like the idea of you, but uh, other things can also satisfy us and for a time. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would reveal any of those things, any idols in our hearts that that come between us and you, any desires that, that aren't directed ultimately toward you. And also, Lord, I pray that uh, as we are seeking you and, and uh, working out uh, this life that you've called us to live, I pray that you would help us to see your commands. And all the little, the basics of, of life that you've given us to do, that you would help us to see the miraculous power behind those, that, that, that we would take your word uh, not as some standard to live up to, uh, but also not as insignificant, that we wouldn't be, uh, that we wouldn't feel as if the things you give us to do are, are uh, belittling to us or anything like that, but that we would give ourselves wholeheartedly uh, to, to trust your word and to obey you. And that as a result, Lord, you lead us into um, those miraculous, uh, the miraculous transformation in our life that you work in us when you're present. Lord, draw us closer to you. Help us to know you. Help us not to uh, demand of you things that, that we don't need. Help us to understand your heart and to receive your word uh, in the way that you want to give it. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you think?